Have you ever experienced something so crippling in your life that has made you feel broken? I have. Are you someone who has a giving heart but is struggling to feel good themselves? Are you consistently putting your needs aside to take care of everyone else? If so, you're not alone. Giving starts with giving to yourself so that you are able to give of yourself to other people. Isn't it time you took back control and discovered what makes you tick? Join me in my journey and find out how you can feel better about yourself, live your best life, and share that with others. Thinking of yourself, it doesn't make you selfish. It makes you brave. I'm Nelia, and this is the Giving Starts With You podcast. Welcome to the Giving Starts With You podcast. My name is Nelia Hutt, and I'm your host. Um, I would just like to say thank you to everybody who is listening in, whether it's from, you know, from work or from home or from the privacy of your own safe space. Thank you so much for coming and being a part of this journey. Um, this podcast is all about trying to feel less alone and trying to feel part of a community so that we can help one another. And that's why I'm so excited to have Carrington Smith. Can I call you Carrie? You may. Yeah. Hi, Carrie. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited to have you. I know we're going to have one of the best conversations. I know it's going to help people and uh, I can't wait to just dive right in, you know, Yes. <laughs> but you're in Texas. I am. Yeah. It's a hundred degrees here. <laughs> oh, I was going to ask you, I was going to, we're having a heat wave right now and it's 38 degrees here, which I don't know what that would be for you, I don't know. but it's hot. <laughs> we're not used to it. So it, it's yeah. pretty, it's pretty hot. Like they're calling for to tornadoes later. So that's how shift in, in weather. Yeah. Crazy, scary stuff. But I want to let everybody know a bit more about you um, so they can understand, you know, where you're coming from, where you've been, where you're going. So um, Carrington is a single mom. She's an attorney. She's a business owner and an executive search professional. For much of her life, it was a struggle just to survive, to hold it together, to stay above water. And we all have been there to some extent or another, just different. Um, she has survived sexual assault, two divorces, piles of debt, abuse, religious mind games, the death of loved ones, and the loss of close friends. On her journey to self-acceptance, she learned the power of perspective and began to thrive when she changed her mindset. In her debut best-selling memoir, Blooming, Carrie combines wit and wisdom to share her journey through the shit of life to a life bursting with joy, opportunity, and purpose. I love this so much. A graduate of the University of Texas at Austin and Tulane Law School, Carrington resides in Austin, Texas with her two teenage boys. Yay! Yay. I got a teenage boy too. Boys rock. They do rock. <laughs> yeah. Wow. We got a lot to talk about. Yeah. You've been through a lot of things. I have. Yeah. yeah. Here you are standing. I know. And, you know, courageous and rocking it out and coming on the show to talk about it because you want to help people. Exactly. So thank you for that. And thank you for being honest today and sharing your story with us. 
Thank you. I mean, I really love what you're about and I'm so thrilled to be on your podcast. Oh, thank you so much. And I know that today we're going to, one of the things we're going to be talking about is how we need to kind of separate from what people think of us and what people want for us and um, start living how we want. Um, even though that can be very difficult, um, just start putting us first. And um, I think that can be a life changer. Yeah. So Carrie, tell us how, the, how did this all start? How does your story begin? Wow, um, there's so many different parts to it. Um, I think I kind of want to start from a different spot and that is yes. just touching on what you just said. I mean, after going through so much, um, being raped in college and um, abandoned basically by my parents, um, not literally, but in a lot of other ways, emotionally, financially, um, going through two divorces, I finally land and I'm like, okay, for the first time in my life, like I bought my own house all by myself. I hired a decorator. I ha had this big um, housewarming party. I had hired a DJ. It was this huge event. And I even hired a photographer to go around and take pictures. And when we got the pictures back, I took one of the pictures and I posted it to my Facebook uh, profile picture and one of my girlfriends called me up and said hey can you come by and have a glass of wine with me at my house um the girls we want to talk to you so uh -huh. I go I go to her house and while I had been traveling for business they had had dinner together a group of girls that was had most of them were part of my book group which I had had for 12 years and this group they had looked at this profile picture and decided it was it showed too much of my boobs. And so they decided collectively that one of them needed to be appointed to have a conversation with me so that I would change my profile picture. So I go over to this girl's house and she tells me, well, we've been talking and we've decided that your profile picture is inappropriate and, you know, it just shows too much of your body and whatnot. So you need to change it. And I look at her, I'm like, it's the picture from the party. Everyone at the party said how great I looked. And now I post it to Facebook and I'm told it's inappropriate. And I was like, there's nothing wrong with this picture. She's like, well, we all think there is and you need to change it. And I was like, no, there's nothing wrong with it. And she's like, look, you don't want your kids to be ashamed of you, do you? Oh, wow. that's when I was like, are you kidding me? So she, in one fell swoop, removed my support group because all of my friends were talking behind my back and it conspired and said that this new person who'd come out of this divorce, feeling excited and happy about life, finally standing up on her own two feet, they didn't like her. You need to go get back in the box. We don't like you this way. You need to go back and be who you used to be. You're threatening to us. So I, my support group was, was removed from me. I was, you know, um, now there was a division between me and my friends. I, my new person that I had come out to be and shine and radiate was rejected by my friends and throw in my boys were going to be ashamed of me. And so I went, I left that and I 
I went home and I kept waking up in the middle of the night crying, not understanding what was going on with me to the point that I was seriously considering suicide. The rejection of this new person was so complete. It drove me to the point of suicide. And I was laying in bed, just like, how am I going to get out of bed? I'm so tired. I'm so unhappy. And it dawned on me after years of therapy, I had learned that depression is anger turned inward. I was angry. I wasn't just angry. I was pissed, which is why I was so depressed because I was so angry. And I had that real, that moment of realization. I picked up the phone and I called the girl who had me over to her house. And I said, fuck you, fuck you. Who the hell do you think you are telling me that this beautiful picture of me, that there's something wrong with it when there's nothing wrong with it. And told her like you and that whole group of girls who said that to me, you're not my friends. Friends stand up for their friends. They cheer them on, they lift them up. They don't sabotage them. They don't talk behind their backs. And I had that moment of saying, standing up for myself. And so of course then everybody's like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, notes and cards and flowers on my doorstep. But those friendships would never be the same because I saw it for exactly what it was. And that was saying, we don't like the new carry. And I knew that I had no choice in order for me to live and be happy. I had to be the new carry. I couldn't be the old Carrie. I was withering and dying being that person. And so I had to start finding new friends. And that was incredibly hard. But that was the beginning of the path to happiness for me, was embracing who I was, my unique self. And even though it threatened other people, being okay with that. Mm. So that's in the middle of my story, but I think it's a powerful point. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I have so many things I want to say. So first of all, congratulations Thank you. on buying the house by yourself. That's huge. Yeah. And for having the party and for doing all of those things and for not going back yeah. in the face of that challenge, for not saying, oh my gosh, because some people do, and it's probably the easiest thing to do. It's exactly the easiest thing to do, yeah. Yeah, so I commend you for not doing that. Um, I'm so glad that you were able to see, hey, there's something really wrong here, and it's not with me. Yeah. Because it sounds like perhaps some of the things that happened before were not in your control, right? Right. These things, like you were saying about your parents and the divorces and everything. And I can't imagine how difficult it may have been for you to build yourself up through all of those things, because we always blame ourselves, even though it's not us, right? Yeah. So for you to get, like, I'm just trying to picture, you know, that moment, for you to get that far ahead and to feel confident again and to do all of those things and want to celebrate and then have not even, even it would have hurt just having a perfect stranger say that, but to have your friends, it's... I don't know. The word is just not coming my, my core group, my most important. This group was my ride or die for many years. So to get that response they from knew. them. They knew yeah. all of like your challenges. They knew how yeah. hard it was for you to get, and they still wanted to keep you down. Yeah. 
I don't know. Sometimes people are jealous and I understand that. Um, it's not a good, a good emotion to have, but I don't know, you know, and I, we're not going to spend time trying to figure out why they did what they did, but I'm so proud. Like I've just met you, but I'm so proud because that's hard for anybody to do. And especially when they're that close to you. Um, but I also get that you said, look, I was so angry. I became depressed. I get that too, because it's like, oh my God, I've tried so hard and now I have nobody to celebrate this with. Yeah. That's not fair. Not only did I have anybody not have anybody to celebrate it with, I was supposed to be ashamed mm. of my victory, of my ability to buy my own house and have this party and feel good about myself and celebrate myself. No, you need to be ashamed of that, Carrie. Wow. That was like the ultimate like punchline to the whole thing. I think if for me, if I had this inappropriate picture, let's say it was, I'm not saying that it was. It's not, by the way, it's in the book. Yes. Everybody who sees it is like, are you kidding me yes, over that? Let's even say, worst yeah. case scenario. Okay. I'm thinking if this had happened to me. So let's say I did post something and a good friend of mine came to me on her own without talking behind people's backs, without appointing somebody to do that is what the word you used. Yeah. And said to me in a kind way, you know, this is maybe like, I don't know what you think, but whatever. I may have even been open to hearing it. But to have it said in such a mean way yeah. and to say, well, no, this, it is, no matter what you think, it, this is offensive, blah, blah, blah. And then to put your family in, what an insult. Yeah. 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 It's like good riddance. And that's one of the things I think it's important for people to understand is that a lot of times people will use your children mm. or shame um, to try to manipulate you back into where they want you to be um more than once this individual has tried to sh tell me that my children would be ashamed of me for my behavior and it it's really about her it's not about me and my behavior because there never was anything wrong with anything that i was doing but they really try to get you where it hurts because they know you they do. It's the shame. And it's also, they minimize. That's the other, the worst thing they do is like when something bad would happen to me, they go, ah, it's not that big a deal. You're just making a big deal out of it. It's not that big a deal. You know, you should get over it. Instead of what I tell people when they've been through trauma is you need to honor that and like get to rage. I say, you have to get to rage to reach forgiveness then grieve the loss of the life you had before the trauma, have the grief, go through all those emotions, mm -hmm. but know that there is hope on the other side. And in my life, one of the big themes in it is that with adversity comes opportunity. And, you know, as you're going through these traumas, a lot, you know, early on, I never really saw that, but enough trauma has happened to me in life that now when something goes bad, I'm like, okay, what's the good part here? Like I start looking for it immediately mm -hmm. because I've trained myself that those two things are paired together. Mm. And that's how God operates with every adversity comes opportunity. And the question is, are you going to see it? What story are you going to tell yourself? What, you know, what choices are you going to make? Are you going to, you know, choose not to be powerful, to be, you know, disempowered, or are you going to, you know, tell yourself a different story, find the opportunity and, you know, choose to have some power to get yourself out of it. So that's I, I love that. Yeah, I love that. And I love that we're talking about this because we need to help ourselves. 
yeah. You know, one of the things I say all the time um, is nobody's coming to save us. We have to do it. So we may have, um, you know, a circle of good friends and they may even have good intentions, let's say. Um, but sometimes they don't know what to say. So rather than saying the wrong thing, they do nothing. And that's just as bad sometimes. And so we need to learn for ourselves because we can't expect other people to learn about stuff that maybe, maybe they're just not interested in it, or maybe right. they haven't gone through something that's had, so they've had to learn the skills, right? So I think it's really important to, you know, and I appreciate the fact that you're here because um, maybe some of the people that are listening don't have those skills yet, or haven't learned about certain things yet, um, or maybe just hearing it from somebody who's been there will help them. Yeah. Yeah. So what are your friends like now, Carrie? <laughs> I refer to my circle, my friends now as my circle of light. Mm. And if you are not about uh, personal growth, about being supportive, about having my back, then you are not welcome inside my circle. I, I have very strong boundaries now. I used to be a doormat. I used to be a people pleaser. I used to care what everybody thought about me, always running around, trying to make everybody happy, making the right impression. I was so unhappy. Oh. And it's hard to set boundaries and keep them. But I have learned that they are critical to not just my success, but to my very survival. I cannot allow certain toxic people in my life. I have to be quick about identifying who those people are. And if, if, if they're not you know, good actors, extricate them, you know, move them outside the, the, the fence around the garden where I'm blooming. <laughs> yes. So, you know, and I don't know, like, I know that for me in my personal journey as well, I'm thinking, even though I knew that I had to do that, sometimes I couldn't do it. And it wasn't until I hit rock bottom, like yeah. the lowest, I think I could go that I'm like, I got nothing to lose now. That's it. So. Because we, I know with me, for instance, my father is a malignant narcissist. So he is somebody that at all points in time is toxic. And, but because he's my father and I, you know, I like to say in parental relationships, society doesn't give us very much leeway to cut our parents out of our lives, shorter than being like an ax murderer or a child molester, you kind of stuck with your parents. And so but the reality is I learned that to survive, I had to cut my father out of my life. And the day that I finally did that, and it took me way too long, was after my mother passed away. So it was um, 2013. So we're almost on 10 years. Mm -hmm. uh, when I finally said, I am done, I have to be totally okay with the, what that means. It means he'll disinherit me. Got to be okay with that. It means other people in the family will be angry at me. Got to be okay with that. I had to go through all those steps in my head. Am I willing to pay the price, the societal price, the family price, the friend price of saying, I don't talk to my father anymore. And it, when I finally set that boundary is when my life really began and I really began to bloom and flourish. And it's because the toxins that were killing me we're no longer allowed in. And what I say about toxic people is that, you know, we have these soul wounds and a toxic person, you're, that wound can never heal because they're constantly ripping the scab off and re-injuring you, right? The only way you can heal a wound is to give it the space 
to heal and give it what it needs to heal. So you can't have it constantly being re-injured. And for me, that meant a very hard and fast boundary with my father. And it has been the best decision I ever made. But in that moment, probably one of the toughest too. One of the toughest. Like I'm sure you knew, like it sounded like the way that I'm hearing you explain it is that you knew without a doubt, you got there, you got to the point where you knew yeah. But then doing it is something else, you know? Like yeah. Said, yeah. I'm sure you don't have any regrets because you look like amazing. <laughs> like, Thank you. Yeah. No, it's, it's it, not to say it's easy because it's not. I mean, so in my situation, um, my father had come for a visit and he ended up choking my son mm. on Christmas Day of uh, 2011, I think it was. Um, so he choked my son and in that moment, I was like, that we have a chain of bad behavior in our family. And I was like, all right, I am ending the chain right here. No more. Like as he was playing accidentally, or do you mean? No, he, I went upstairs to take a shower and apparently the boys were playing or roughhousing or something. And he picked my son up by his neck and pinned him against the wall and choked him. Mm. And, you know, I hear the running up the stairs, the the slamming door, the sobs, the crying. And I go and I ask my son what happened. He's like, grandpa choked me. And he didn't apologize. And his brother, you know, was there and said, yeah, grandpa, grandpa choked him. And he said, well, they were roughhousing. He deserved it. And I was like, no, you will never see your grandchildren ever again. That's it. However, I maintained a relationship with him for another year while my mom was still alive. And it was after she passed that I was like, there's no reason Mm. for me to have contact with this man anymore. Done. Mm. So he doesn't have any contact with me or my children. Just, I'm just absorbing what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, So for those people that, have similar situations who know that they need to get rid of in order to save themselves they need to say goodbye to other things in their life um do you have any like how do you do that like i know that when you get to a point you have no choice you just you have to do it but maybe somebody's listening and they're not quite there yet but it would be better that they did it sooner rather than later do you know what i mean do you have any like suggestions or any anything you can recommend to kind of help push them forward to doing what they feels right yeah actually there's a book that i read called people of the lie by m scott peck he's the same guy that wrote the road less traveled Mm. so he wrote this book called people of the lie and it is about evil and how it shows up in society and in relationships and reading this book, I, the thing about my father is he's a doctor. He's someone, he's a pillar of the community, right? So Mm -hmm. he's put on this pedestal as being, you know, this savior. Yeah, exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. And so for me, what I loved about this book is that I recognize my father in the pages because what it talks about is how the most evil people never go to jail because what they do is they identify and manipulate people and their weaknesses to cause them pain and harm. 
And he get, walks through and he gives examples. I mean, this one really compelling example of parents who had one child who killed himself with a shotgun that they had given him. And the very next year, they gave that shotgun, not a different one, that shotgun that had killed their one son to their next son for Christmas. Wow. So it's a very, evil is very subtle. And so he's in therapy and Scott Peck was when it was the therapist. And he's like, this is the very definition of evil. It's that subtlety mm. of pushing somebody towards something. Basically the suggestion, you should kill yourself too. Here's the gun. And mm. but he gives example after example of this, where it just became so obvious to me. It was that type of behavior. And that type of behavior is the hardest to cut off because it's not so easily identifiable. And people give those people permission. They're like, well, he's not bad. He's a doctor. He's a good guy. He does good things in the community. And they stop looking further. Yeah. Yes. What they don't realize is that what he is doing with the, in the, with the people he knows and relates to, he finds weaknesses and he gets in there and he, he uses, he would use scripture mm. to to manipulate me and make me feel compelled to do certain things. And it was very, very, very twisted. So, but I recommend that people read that book because I think that for anyone who is like, wow, well, you know, I, I can't stand being around this person and they give me the heebie-jeebies or, you know, I feel revulsion or I feel confusion. That's another way to recognize evil is if you're around somebody and you're always feeling confused, mm. believe it or not, that is your body's way of telling you that you are around evil. So revulsion and confusion are two of the ways your body tells you that you're around evil. So if you're around somebody who's preaching something or talking about something and just really getting in your business and it's just like, this doesn't make sense to me. I just feel all stirred up. This is your body telling you, take a step back, <laughs> you know, figure out the situation. This person may not be an ax murderer or a child molester. They might be something even worse which is just pure evil. So mm. I, I love the book because it, it really helps people understand how it works and they, it's more recognizable. And for me, it gave me permission because us women, we need permission, right? It gave me the permission to set the boundary and walk away from that relationship and keep myself safe. Mm. Thanks for sharing that. I'm interested in reading it for yeah. sure. Um, for those people who are listening to Carrie's story, who maybe wanted to reach out to some friends and maybe are thinking twice about it because of, you know, things sometimes, you know, my personal experience is that sometimes it's easier to talk to strangers, people who don't maybe know everything about me, people who don't necessarily see me as I was before. Um, because I think they can just comment on what it's, you know, and yeah, you agree. I do. I, I think I actually found that because I was so sick and tired of people minimizing when I would talk about anything, whether it was losing my best friend to cancer or losing my mother, you know, being raped. Anytime I would talk, try, try to talk about anything, I was always being minimized and dismissed. And when I finally sat down and wrote when you write something, there's no immediate audience. There was, there's no filters. There's no immediate feedback where you feel like you have to change your, the story and alter it in some way to make somebody happy and feel less threatened. No, I just told my story authentic to my experience. And that was the most beautiful thing because 
you're right. It's like talking to a stranger, but I'm using it by writing it. You don't have the filters or the, the, the prior person they're thinking of and casting you know, judgment on you. It's just somebody hearing your story for what it is. And usually then you get empathy. Mm. Yeah. Did you find, did you find when you were reading your, writing your story, it kind of just wrote itself? Yeah. Cause that's what I found with mine too. I just, I had been holding in all these feelings that when I finally started to write, I didn't even think what I was writing. It just didn't stop. Yeah. And it was just like, oh my God, this feels so good. It was like yes. having a best friend, you know, just sitting there. Like it was yeah. just so comfortable. Yeah. I wrote my book in three months. Wow. It just came out. I mean, yeah, I 100% agree with you. Wow. That's amazing. So this, the book, tell us a little bit about the book. Yes. So the book is called Blooming, Finding Gifts in the Shit of Life. And that title is very purposeful. And that is because, well, first of all, we always talk about our shit, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> shit just hit the fan. You know, I mean, that it's, you know, colloquially, that's the term we use. But it's also a double entendre. And that is that shit is quite literally fertilizer. And it's in the traumas, the difficulties, the messes, the failures of life that we find the nutrients we need to bloom into greatness. Mm, and I think when people, that. yeah, and I think when people, it, I want people to shift their perspective and stop hiding all their shit, <laughs> instead embracing it. Because what I learned through on my journey was that when I went back and re-examined those horrible experiences, that's when I, where I found my greatest strengths and found and discovered the traits that really make me the person who I am today. And so like, for instance, with my father, you know, I had a, a, a difficult childhood and people, somebody asked me like, what is, what is your greatest gift? And I said, oh, that's easy intuition, really good intuition. And they said, well, how do you think you got that gift? Where do you think it came from? I thought about it and I was like, from walking on eggshells, when you're walking on eggshells, you have to be aware of every little thing around you and you kind of grow little extra tendrils to pick up on every, everything and everyone and every, you know, sudden change of anything. So I really honed those skills of intuition. I had this moment of, of like an epiphany and I realized if I am grateful for the gift of intuition how can I separate it from the path that birthed it? Mm. So while, you know, that was a horrible experience to go through, I would not change who I am today. So I reached a place of gratitude for my past. And also it helped me to forgive my father and kind of like re-examine like this, all, all this stuff happened, but he, he had his own trauma in childhood and in life. And that's how he became who he was. And so developing that, like changing the lens of, you know, as I said, I'm working through rage to reach forgiveness. I had gone through anger and, you know, let go of that relationship, but reaching a place of forgiveness and, and empathy, even for him, for what he'd been through as a child to better understand my situation and then have gratitude that how lucky am I to have this beautiful, fruitful, purpose-driven, joyful life. I never could have gotten here if I hadn't been through all the shit that I went through. And I think that when people go through these traumas, if they can always have that lens, I mean, I know in the moment it's hard to, but like this, just at the corner of your eye, just knowing 
that there's an opportunity that's going to come from this. There's a gift that's going to come from this so that then you start looking for it and finding it more quickly. It's like your it's mindset is a muscle. So the more often you do it, every little bad thing that happens, you start looking for the good in it, you'll find it. Mm. Yeah, I love that because it's true in the moment you don't see it. Yeah. But just to trust that it'll come and that it yeah. will show show itself. Yeah. Um yeah, you know, life is life is tough. And when you're going through it by yourself, it's something I say, you know, very often. It's even, I don't know, it becomes even twice as hard mm-hmm. because you think you're on, you know, you're you know what you want to do. You want to break off ties with certain people to save yourself. But then when you're alone and you have nobody to discuss it with, it's like you start questioning, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Yeah. Or is this me just making another mistake? Like, do you know what I mean? But I think one of the ways we can tell is that we slowly start to heal. We slowly start to feel better, you know? And looking back now, I'm sure you're like, oh, thank goodness I made that choice. Yes, and I think one of the things that you talk about um, on your website and in your story is about the importance of giving back. Mm. And... I think that when you're going through those moments of self-doubt and like, well, who am I going to talk to? Where are the people who support me? If you shift from that to what can I do for others and gratitude, suddenly you're, you're, you're full again because it's in those moments of giving that you feel that greatest sense of fulfillment. And when you are having those questioning moments, if you start having gratitude for the most simple things, whether it could be like, you know, um, my health, my children, um, the fact that I am educated, you know, just kind of going through and thinking, coming up with the most, you know, I have a full belly. I, you know, so going through those things, you shift from, from was this the right decision and where's my support to, wait a second, I'm, I have so much to be grateful for and how can I help others? And it just, it, a lot of life is just about controlling your brain and the story you tell and, and how you use it. And I really, I'm such a proponent of, you know, happiness as a choice, empathy is a choice, um, kindness is a choice. And every choice we make, they're like dominoes and how they impact our life. Every micro decision we make, is like a domino that affects how we live our life. So it's these micro decisions and these choices of happiness, humor, empathy, purpose, kindness, choosing those things that will transform your life. So it's everyday little tiny decisions that make that difference. Yes, I so agree. And right now you're giving back by being here talking with me and speaking to everybody who's listening um, because there's no better gift than like you don't have to have money to, to share, you right. know, you don't have to, people think that giving is all about how much you have to give like financially. Yeah. And most of the best gifts and the most impactful gifts are free, like your time. And in this case, your experience, Yeah. the fact that you're, you're brave enough and courageous enough and willing enough to come here and speak to people because you know that it's going to help them. That's giving back, Yeah. you know? And, and I love that because honestly, for me, and yes, I do talk about, you know, that's what 
that's what helps me every morning with my mental health and being okay and forgiving all the things that have happened to me um, is giving back. And originally it just took the focus off of me, even without it being intentional. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh my God, I'm like, wow, that person, like, I really did help that person. And then after doing it for a while, you're like, oh my God, I kind of like myself now. Yeah. You know, whereas before I'm like, oh, I'm ugly. I'm fat. I'm not Mm -hmm. smart. I didn't go to university. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. And I was like, none of that matters. Um, It's more, oh my gosh, like I'm a, I'm a good human being. Yes, exactly. That to me is matters more than financial status matters more than any of those things. And it's so healing for us, but it's also healing for the people that are listening. Like you're telling your story and you're doing it so beautifully. But when you first started telling it, I bet it was a little scary. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, and a little more difficult than maybe it is when you tell it the 300th time. (laughs) I know for me, it's true. That's what happens. And we never disassociate from the feeling and from what happened to us. But when you start really being who you are, it is scary. It's scary, but if you're listening and I mean, you're looking at Carrie and you're looking at, uh, at at me and you're like, it's okay. Like that scariness will go away. Don't lose your voice and don't suppress what you really, who you really want to be just because it's scary. Yeah. Cause look how far you've come, you know? Yeah. Well, and the thing is, um, so uh, I think it was 20. 16, 2017, I was badly burned by a laser mm-hmm. on my, my many, many, a joke. There's so much trauma. of like, what flavor do you want to talk about? No. Um, <laughs> so I was badly you gotta burned. have some humor. Otherwise you oh have to humor is worth that. Um, so I was badly burned by a laser on my face, neck, decollete and shoulders. And I don't know if you can see any of these white spots on me, but they're scarring from the laser. Okay. And I was um, so badly burned that I, uh, second and third degree burns, I developed a, a secondary bacterial infection. And then I developed a secondary yeast infection, a systemic yeast infection, not that kind, but it's systemic. Right. <laughs> uh, so I actually had this like pink stuff on my skin, which was actually yeast. Hmm. Um, and with, when you have a systemic yeast infection, you develop brain fog. And I basically like was catatonic. I mean, it, I, my self-esteem, I, mean, I, I have this issue with needing to be pretty and suddenly I looked like a monster. Mm. So for me, it really hit a deep soul wound of now. I mean, I really looked hideous because of all these burns and it took a year of treatments and actually like the treatments in some ways are worse than what happened. The amount of things they had to do to me to get me back to where I could even go out in public, but it stripped me down because I couldn't work financially. It killed me. My self-esteem was at zero, you know, friends disappeared, friends made fun of me. I mean, it, so but the become thing more is, aware because of all these people. To, yes. Know. Yes. So, but what happened is I like to say, and this is literal with forest fire after forest fire from the charred remains comes fresh, new growth. Mm. I literally had been burned physically, but 
in every other sense of my life, if this was like a forest fire to my life. And what happened, I was taken down to my core after everything else I had been through. I was like, God, this? And what I came to realize was that none of the stuff that I'd been worrying about was important. None of it. I didn't care about keeping up with the Joneses anymore. I mean, I, I didn't need all that stuff. I, the only thing that mattered was the most significant of relationships, like my kids, Mm. um, my very closest friends, and then my character and values. And that is, and my essence, and that is what people responded to. So when I looked like a monster, (laughs) when I looked hideous, when I was stripped of my financial success, when my, my career was in the toilet, this was the moment where I actually thanked God and said, I'm so glad this happened to me because it has changed my life so much for the better because I came to realize what was not important. Thank God it happened to me at a young enough age where now I can focus on what really is important. And that's why my friends are this circle of light because those are the kinds of people who I surround myself with. Okay, so I got to say something. So there's so many people who judge and there's so many people who put labels on blonde, pretty women. And I'm just going to say it. It's true. Yeah, it's true. And people judge you based on the car that you drive. And if you're blonde and beautiful, you must be an airhead and you must be an idiot and you must be all of these things. And I hate that. And people do that to me in other ways. And it's just these labels that people put, they don't see what's behind you. So sometimes it's like, it's like, so I'm very heavy, right? So when I was younger, I used to hide and wear ugly things on purpose, um, especially when I lost weight, because I didn't want to be a center of attention. Because I'm like, okay, now I've lost some weight, but I don't want people to come because I'm so comfortable being unnoticed. Ah, I get that. So when you were telling that story, I was like, it sounded like you kind of saw yourself that way because you're so pretty that you're like, it was devastating for you to have those burns. But I think it kind of sounds like it opened your eyes that people saw you more than you saw you. Yeah. Yeah. Is that true? Like when you're telling me, I'm like, I'm just trying to think so many times people label us as things and it almost sounded like you were doing it to yourself a hundred percent yeah i think we ascribe a value to ourselves based on what we think makes us valuable right and the reality is that because we'll say it's my career it's that i'm you know for some people i mean i'm not i'm not talented so people maybe they can sing don't say you're not talented well but no i'm I'm sure i could find a few things (laughs) okay but you know what i'm saying i'm not not in that sense yes so but there are people who ascribe their value based on whether it's talents or athletic ability or ability to produce income or intelligence or beauty and that is their hallmark their calling card that is what their entire self-esteem is based on And what I came to realize was that when those things were stripped away, it really came down to my essence, like my soul, Mm. my character, my values, sort of that, you know, you meet sometimes you meet somebody and they're like magnetic and you just want to be around them and you can't really put your finger on it. Mm. 
if every one of us could discover that in ourselves, and I think that's kind of what I went through in that process was realizing, wait, the reason people respond to me isn't about how I look or, or any of these other things I've just mentioned. It's about this. It's about the connection. It's about the dialogue. It's about the fact that I see you. Mm. I make a point. Like I know your, I will stop. I want to know your name. I want to know your story. That is what makes me valuable. It's that I care. And so understanding that about myself, boy, I, again, horrible experience. Yes. Wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, but what a gift. I'm so lucky. I have figured this out before my life was over. So I can really, you know, change how I live and have an impact and impart this wisdom to others, to my kids, etc. So I consider it Beautiful. such a blessing. Yeah, it's beautiful. And some people may have gone through that and not have noticed. Right. You know, it's not something that will happen automatically. So you did that. Yeah. You know, that's, that's so special to, to be able to share that now, looking back, you know, and how do you feel about yourself now? Well, it's interesting, just as you said that. Um, so I'm single, I'm out here trying to date. And one of my frustrations is very much the stereotype you talk about, about people just assume, well, things because I'm a blonde. And so my frustration is that I'm very authentic and I hate small talk and I like to have, I love substance. I want to have a real conversation with somebody who actually, you know, is inspiring and not just this drivel with people who are surface level. And so one of my greatest frustrations has been trying to meet somebody that is like that. Mm. Now, part of what I've come to realize is that just by living my life authentically and being, you know, who I am, that I think that that person is out there looking for me too, and they'll find me, but it is frustrating while you're out there dating when that's something that just doesn't come across on a dating app, right? <laughs> it's not one of the boxes yeah. you check. Yeah, because I don't know why people assume that if you're pretty, you don't have something else going for you. Or it's it's the smart ones that are not pretty or whatever it is. I don't understand it. You know, when I first started my podcast, I interviewed a lady. She was talking about how she had cancer and none of her friends knew. But her hair had grown back and she had beautiful blonde hair. And she was, she had just bought this beautiful, you know, expensive car and she was at the gas station and her friend that she hadn't seen in a couple of years was pumping gas. And she was like, oh, hi, you know, I haven't seen you in so long. You look great. And, and then she realized a couple of weeks later, she had heard, well, she had just been through this horrible two years bout of cancer and lost her all her hair and did you know all this stuff happened to her and it wasn't until they found that story out that they looked at her not like the pretty girl with the nice car and being jealous and I was like how sad is that yeah because you could have been there for her during that time but also how automatic you know like how automatic I think the first thing people see when they without even realizing is the color of your skin yes and then the second thing is your sex. So male, female, or yeah. you know, other, and then it's the hair color, the eyes, like there's, it's just something we do automatically that we don't even realize. And I'm so glad that we're talking about this in the episode, because it really 
the way people perceive you changes the way you perceive yourself. And we have to stop that. Yes. We can't allow people to do that to us anymore. I agree. And that's actually something. So I think people think that if you're blonde or pretty or something that you've got all these advantages in business and whatnot. And I'm here to tell you that's not the case because in fact, like I was reaching out to um, a lawyer who I do business with and he said, Hey, look, I'm um, just doing me a favor. Don't text me at night. Um, after dinner because I don't want my wife to think some I'm some seeing some hot girl that was so insulting to me I'm like trust me dude (laughs) I am not interested but so it's okay if a guy texts you after dinner but just not me a co-worker yeah yeah I just but you're right part of the reason I wrote the book is because I knew that everybody had made up a story in their head about about me, who I was, and what my story was, just based on what their impression of me was. And so I wanted to peel back that curtain. And not just for me, but when you read my story, realize every person on this planet has a story. And I think a lot of times we use those filters and those stories we make up about people to mistreat them. And so what I always say, and I try to live, is that every interaction we have with someone may be their last. You may not know that that person's in crisis. God forbid you say something nasty to them and you're the person that says the thing that causes them to take their life. Or you say something nasty to them and then they're in a shooting or something. I mean, Mm. so I really believe that in every interaction I have with somebody, it's my job. When you, people are like, well, I don't know what my purpose is. I'm like, literally, it's so simple. Give a, a compliment, a gift, a prayer, um, a thank you, an acknowledgement, a saying their name, listening to their story. Those things are gifts that can change someone's life. They have so much power. More than you coming up with some grandiose purpose. It's literally these little interactions on a daily basis. And so I try my best to really live that way. You know, again, I'm not perfect. I have my moments, but I really, really try that. And so I, I think about, you know, all the different workers that I live in a high-rise building, but like so the, from the concierge to the guy who takes my garbage, I try to make sure that I stop and recognize them, acknowledge them and have conversations with them because it's so important. Mm. Yeah. Cause you just don't know. You just don't know. You don't know. And, and I love that purpose just to, when you interact with another human being, if you, you know, if you're meant to meet that day, you know, that you leave them a little better than have yeah. not met you. Yeah. You know, why? Kindness or a compliment, do? anything so simple, a prayer, a blessing, a, a thank you. Hmm. Even just a smile. If you're yeah. shy, like a smile, so contagious. And I don't think, you know, there might be some people, not my listeners, because I know my listeners get it, but there might be people out there who think, oh, but that's nothing. It's not a big deal. But we all know, listening here today, because we've been there, we all know how much it means when you're feeling completely alone, you hate yourself, you think the world is after you, you have nobody to turn to, and somebody you don't even know just smiles at you. Yeah. It means everything in that moment. Yeah. And I think we all get that, you know, but I think there's still people out there who think it's not unimportant. And so I think the more we do it, the more it'll catch on, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, so important. I, I think you're incredible. I do see you, by the way. Thank you. I see you and I do hear everything that you're saying. And I honestly think you're incredible. I love your message. And uh, you are helping people today and, you know, whenever you share your story, because I, I think it's so important, um, no matter what you look like, to share your story it has nothing to do with, you know, but I, I don't know, I just feel like it, it's healing. It's healing for us, it's healing for me, it's healing for you, probably, and it's just amazing. Can I ask you a question about being an attorney? Yes. So... Did you get into that because you wanted to help people and you wanted to give people a voice? I'm just trying to blend the two things together. Uh, I wish it was that, but no. <laughs> no, I just, no, I love that you're honest about it. Yeah. I was just, but I think that's what you're, without even knowing it, you are yeah. doing that. Yeah, I am. I, I say in my book that my purpose is to lift others up. Mm. And so what the sort of weird thing for me, we talked about this a little bit before, was about um, you were comfortable being invisible. Yes. Okay, I get that. I was, uh, in my family, I was the invisible one and the sort of discarded, insignificant. And I was very comfortable in that role. And so going through life, I attracted a lot of narcissists to my life where mm -hmm. I was all about, you know, them being out front and, any kind of friend that needed somebody to be in the back, I was that person. I was a great lady in waiting. Um, but when I stepped out on my own and into the light, I like to say it's like it was like a background singer moving into the leading role. And that's part of the reason why I was so resoundingly rejected is because I hadn't just sort of changed in my life or any of that. I literally changed in my role in my friends' lives. I basically said, I'm not going to be the supporting actor anymore. I am going to go live out loud and step into the light fully. And people were not comfortable with that. So I, I get you that, that, and it's honestly, there are plenty of times where it's easy to revert back into that, where I'm in a big room. I'm more than happy to be invisible. Um, I go do great one-on-one, -on -one, but in big groups, I kind of disappear. What's your thing? Yeah, I, I get it. So, yeah. but this choosing to step out and claim your space in life and own your truth and honor God by using all of the traits he gave you to be your own unique person, that's honoring God. Mm. He didn't, he did not create us to be different. I mean, to create us to be the same. He created mm -hmm. us to be different like snowflakes. And when we're always trying to compare ourselves and be like everybody else, we're not honoring him. So anyway, I honor you. I love thank your message you. and what you're doing. And thank you so much for having me on here today. Oh, I appreciate it. I, I loved our conversation. And I just, you know, we're so hard on ourselves. And I'm hoping when people hear this today, that they know, you know, sometimes it's the hard decisions we make that give us a new brand new life and it gives us a new chance to to be who we are you know I used to be very shy and like you said yeah very comfortable and in being invisible and then a few years ago I changed all that and even today people are like oh I hear you have this show like you never used to talk like and I'm like yeah and you know what I feel really good the last few years <laughs> I feel better than I have in a long time you know, even my mom, what do you mean you're writing a book? What are you talking about in your book? 
And now it's like, I'm so proud of you. And not that I need anybody to say that, but I like who I am now. Yeah. yeah. And before I would have been like, oh my God, you can't say that. That's conceited. Why do you think you're better than other people? And it's not, you're just being honest. It's okay to yeah. say it out loud. Yeah. It's okay, you know? I don't know. Thank you, Carrie. I really had a great time talking Me with too. you today and I can't wait to read your book. And I'll tell you exactly what I think about it after. <laughs> I can't wait to hear. Yes, I would love uh, I would love to do that. And is there anything that we didn't mention today that you want to end the show with today? Um, I mean, I just the couple of life principles. One is with adversity comes opportunity. So mm -hmm. kind of keep that in mind. I like to say that mindset is a muscle. So th these choices we make and how we view life determine the outcome of our life. So just always kind of keep that in mind and it takes practice. You have to constantly be flexing that muscle mm -hmm. so that it becomes a habit and you develop that muscle memory. Um, but yeah, those are the, the two main things and I'm just grateful, very grateful for the life I have. Oh, that's awesome. And I'm so, I, you can tell how happy you are. And I love that. I love that. I am sorry that you had to go through all of those things, but like you said, it made you who you are today. Yeah, exactly. And I got to be on your show because of it. So there you go. There's a gift. <laughs> now we're friends. See? Now we're friends. I know. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Honestly, it was great. Awesome. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe or leave a review. See you next week on the Giving Starts With You podcast.